You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I received an email from a chap called Liston Mainchies, who's an independent financial and market commentator and advisor. And it said the following, do you believe the final sentence? And the headline is, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. And it goes on to say the following, increasingly investors are realizing that the only variables that can be controlled when investing are the fees that you pay, whereas equity market performance turns out to be pretty random and certainly unpredictable. It goes on to say the following, equity funds that outperform today were probably yesterday's poor performers and where they'll land up tomorrow is in the lap of the gods with a capital G. Our research leads us to believe that the majority of funds that beat the market do so purely as a result of luck rather than skill. That article was, I think, on MoneyWeb. But anyway, Liston Mainchies, the man in question who sent me this, is on the telephone now. Luck. I mean, can you believe it, Liston, the temerity of these people? Well, again, a, a book I read many years ago said, uh, you know, looking at the at the uh, research that was produced in America and how few managers managed to beat the market, they said, you know, we don't like to be told as fund managers that, you know, it was all luck and it was just, uh, you know, a, a random draw. And I can remember that book well. Uh, but the point was that was back in the 70s. So this debate hasn't been, uh, hasn't, uh, isn't new. Uh, the real point about the article, I think, is it, it, it has numbers and, and you have to wake up and look and listen. And admittedly, they've chosen a particular period in time when uh, our funds haven't performed well. And we see over a three-year comparison, market return 5%. Uh, 139 funds, 118 underperformed, and only 21 outperformed the market. But it gets even worse than that, is that they say that 97% of fees paid by investors were to underperforming funds. Now, if that doesn't shake you, nothing will. But I think the real real challenge to all of us is to say, is this luck or skill? And if it is just luck, then, uh, you know, the role of the advisor, the financial advisor. Now, remember, I'm a fund manager rather than a, a, uh, a private client advisor. Uh, but I pretty well know through all the exams and, and what have you I've written, you know, what is done and what is required. And I have indeed helped a number of people over time, you know, establishing what I would regard as a reasonable uh, set of investments for them. So I think, uh, you know, get back to the question of, you know, is it luck or skill? And I think the bigger and longer question is, okay, we've looked over three years, we've looked over five. But if you've seen our local stock market, it has really done very little over the last four or so years. That's not a good time to be testing anything. Much the same as in the 60s when Sharp, William Sharp came out with his uh, idea of modern portfolio theory and how you could easily explain the market by a simple little little regression line, y equals alpha plus beta x. Uh, it was done in a period of largely rising market, and you were able to make all sorts of uh, results which have perpetuated, believe it or not, since then. I, of course, they've been subject to further tests over time, and the academic literature basically says that the market cannot beat the market because the market has fees, at least the the investing market has fees, whereas the published market 
doesn't have feet. So what you're saying is this, and just before you go on, I'm I'm trying to cut through all this now. What you're saying is that if you take the 10 most reputable, most well-established, best-performing fund managers in the top quartile, for example, in the world, you say to yourself, which of these fund managers charges me the least? Those are the ones I should start with. So it could be 0.5%, 0.7%, whatever the fee is. I don't know. These layers of fund managers' costs really do. They don't depress me, but they certainly discombobulate me a little bit. You should start with the ones that charge the least and then move up from there. Well, that's true, but the the real question is: Is that performance uh, uh, con- likely to continue? Fund managers change, economic circumstances change, and in particular, you know, when I look at this, and I first of all want to refute the statement: I don't believe that it is uh, luck, and I've got a fair uh, diatribe as to as to why they haven't beaten them, beaten the indices. Go on then. But the the point I come back to is people are devoting their time and energy to this business as a profession. And if, as you say, we expect you with your collective knowledge to beat the market, then say that. But then the people must all have the same benchmark. Now, it turns out our industry is laden with what I call benchmark risk. And you and I don't talk that, and many advisors talking to their clients don't talk that. But certainly at higher levels and largely at institutional levels, people get fired if they didn't beat their benchmark. Now, the point is this. If we're looking at equity funds, and really that article was related to equity funds, uh, the assumption is that they're all trying to beat the same benchmark, and that's what this person has used as the market. Now, many of them are not trying to beat that benchmark because in many cases, and we know this, if you take, for instance, the shareholder weighted index known as SWIX, it has more than 20% allocated to NASPERS, now NASPERS and PROCESS. Yes. And that's an imprudent way to invest, given that an awful lot of the fortunes of that company having been stellar for the last 20 years, uh, rather look a bit dangerous given that their major market is to uh, uh, people playing games online in China. And if the Chinese government decides that that's a bad idea, then they could fall on hard times quite easily. So to put 20 and more percent of your money into that, uh, I would regard that as imprudent. So again, how do you invest prudently against an imprudent invest uh, a benchmark? Second one, of course, is that within our, our indices, there are financials, industrials, and resources. Now, again, the resources index uh, uh, is one with the greatest volatility. Many investors hate volatility. They'd never like to see it go down. So many fund managers prefer not to invest in them. But it turns out over the last 12 months or just more than that, if you didn't invest in them, you did very poorly. Whereas uh, those who invested in them, for instance, the gold index is up over 100% over the past 12 months. And similarly for the the platinum index. Now, uh, if you weren't in those, uh, those who were did far better than you, as it turns out. And we probably see that in these numbers. Only 21 out of 130 managers were prepared to take a bet in that direction. To do that, you would need to have competence. That's one thing we require of our fund managers. And many of them have never been down a mine. 
many of them do not really understand the dynamics of the platinum, palladium and uh, rhodium market. So understand why they would say, I can't put my client's money into an investment I don't understand. Now, if that investment does well, you're now punished and penalized. The protection is, but nor did anybody else. And so we're really now talking, instead of the benchmark, we're talking about beating our peer group. Again, I just want to come back to the fact that within... Just before you go on, sorry, listen, just before you go on with your next point, I spoke to Magnus Haystack yesterday from Brentos Wealth, and he was being rather disparaging in a very, very reasoned way about the giant asset management industry in South Africa. And um, you can listen to it on strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Have a listen to it and see what he says. Are you saying then, are, are you promoting the asset management industry or are you saying be circumspect because you say, the following. My point is this, sitting in one place, fund or combination of funds and hoping that all will be well is not a good plan. And you hear from everybody, as soon as you get out of something, you might miss a few days of good upside and therefore you destroy your upside. Well, so yes, what are you saying argument, then? They, they never use that argument on the downside. If you'd missed the, the, the 10 worst days in history, you would have had a stellar performance. Good point. <laughs> so again, <laughs> that one never really hits, hits the, the, the ground. But no, what I am saying is that an awful lot of the way the industry operates, and let me just give my big bleat here. Please do. That there are probably four or five managers, uh, firms, that is to say, managing money, who account for something like 85% of all funds under uh, management in the equity space. Yes. There are lots of good guys lower down, keen, anxious for some money, but do you know they won't get much, if any, unless they come top or near the top. At the moment they come top, a little bit gets put there because people say, but I've never heard of Truffle. I've never heard of Fairtree. Why haven't you told me about them? But those who come in the, uh, in, in the middle, good as they might be, and over a protracted period of time move up to the higher ranks over four and five years, but, you know, it takes you four and five years to get there. So, you know, money tends to be poured into large pots, which really can do very little with it. So, in fact, we have a, and a steadily shrinking stock market here where really all the market cap is overseas companies or South African companies with large external businesses. Uh, local companies uh, have been shrinking and Again, because the economy is so bad and uh, we won't go into all of that. But long story short is if you're a big fund manager and you're going to put, let's say, 100 million into a company and you find that to get it in will take you two weeks, then you say to yourself, well, how long will it take for me to get out if I want to? The assumption that you can sell a, a listed equity just because you can see the price on the screen, uh, it, do, it just doesn't work like that. Now, again... If you are large and you buy uh, a certain number of shares, and really, truly, if you've got, let's say, $170 billion in the equity market and you want to put 5% into that, you better be putting in six, uh, 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 something like 6 billion rands worth. Well, to put 6 billion rand into many companies in South Africa means you own them and more. So what I'm saying is there is definitely a dislocation in the industry affecting the stock market, affecting the economy, affecting jobs, uh, which doesn't come out because we are 
a benchmark cognizant. And if you underperform the benchmark or if you underperform the peers. Now, I'm just saying those sentences just don't gel well with me. So when we are saying the managers underperformed, the market, uh, understand that the market really consisted of a, a handful of shares of which many of them were not prepared to have full weight, which did perform. So you have to go right through what I call an attribution analysis to say, where did you underperform? Why did you underperform? Was it a, no, a knowing decision or was it a poor decision? And as I said before, you know, if you only hold 10% in Nasperson process together, which is probably prudent, uh, and the index has 20 and it goes up 30%, you will underperform by 15% just on that holding. Mm-hmm. Now, that is quite tragic. What do you think about the asset management industry, uh, Liston? You're, you're part of it. You're an independent and you yes. are more on the, on the personal side of things rather than the wholesale side of things, if you see what I mean. Do you think that the seven-figure sums that the uh, people are being paid at asset management companies are justified given the fact that, quite honestly, with the passive investments that you've uh, referred to during the last few minutes are so prevalent? Do you think it's like the JSE? Do you think its demise is coming? Well, you'll see the, the same situation in America. Now, in America, for the first time in the last, I can't know whether it's month or two months, uh, but more money is, be, is being managed in a passive way than in an active way for the first time. Now, this is a worldwide trend, and it is related back to your question of fees, and it is related back to... I don't mind paying 1% if the person outperforms by three after fees. Mm. If he underperforms by three uh, after fees, well, I know that one of the one of the 1% is, is my fees. Uh, and again, it's a very crucial and critical debate. Uh, but it has been there. It is established. It has drawn any number of people into the lure of incredible numbers if you get it right, and there is a performance bonus. Just by the way, in America, no mutual fund may pay a performance bonus or may may claim a performance bonus. You get what the fund gets. Mm -hmm. Here we've somehow fallen into the, oh, well, you know, if we did well for you, we deserve a big whack of that. And, of course, it goes back to private equity where the typical fee is 2% management and 20% of the the gain. Well, golly, that sounds almost like the government grabbing, you know, a capital gains tax on top of it all. Interesting stuff, Liston. Lots of introspection we need here in the financial services industry and also the reporting on financial services because people are kowtowing a little bit too much, I think, to investment companies, and I'm guilty of that uh, myself. But um, I consider myself an independent, by the way. Let me give the positive story here because I definitely, and and just for the listeners, I mean, it's, it's not as though I make some of this up. I have been around and at, at, in, at various times have interviewed well more than 200 fund managers. So I know pretty well how they think. I know pretty well why they are where they are uh, and, and, and their particular areas of strength. I also look at what their holdings are, which most people don't do. And even if they do, they look at maybe the top 10 because they're published. Um, some don't publish. Uh, but the point is, if you don't know what you're buying in either a smart beta fund or an index fund, or a particular active manager's fund, you don't really know what you're in for. And you can say, but that's their job, and they'll they'll change when circumstances change. Well, that's unlikely. 
So what is important is to know and understand the policy and philosophy of the funds in which you are invested. And it's all very well to say, well, I'll diversify. I'll just buy 20 of them and see what happens. Well, I promise you that way leads, medium, leads to mediocrity. It's almost guaranteed. Uh, but if you say, no, I will prefer to have a bit of concentration and I will try to outperform the market on various ways. So you may say, as many people do, I will put most of the money into an index tracker, but then I don't want to buy another fund that basically tracks the index on its own. I want a guy who is really playing the edges and who is able to play the edges which sounds to me as though you should be in the small space, not in the big space. You need to also know and understand when their particular approach to investments will work. And again, I've seen value investors suffer enormously by sticking to the knitting, saying what, saying we will do what we promised, and it hasn't been the time for value. Now, you question why it hasn't been a, a, a time for value. I, we can deal with that another time. Mm. But if the, if the tide is against you, uh, holding it and waiting, you'll probably be rewarded in a, in a longer run like three to five years. But in a one-year patch, if it's not time for value, it won't help you by the same token. If you were not in resources, when I'm saying the tide came in for resources, did anybody notice that the tide was coming in? And by the way, Lindsay, how do you know if the tide is coming in? Well, I say you stand on the beach and you watch <laughs> and you the waves. And you get wet. And if they are coming towards you, <laughs> then the tide is coming in. <laughs> if they are heading outwards, and I'm, I'm talking about the height on the beach, you can normally tell whether the tide is coming in or going out. <laughs> and just to miss you know, the tide coming in for one area of the market while it was going out for another area of the market and not spotting that there was a need for a switch, I think that is one of the greatest problems. Now you have to say, why did that happen? Or how could that happen? And I simply say by training and by uh, all sorts of background issues like past history, uh, people said, no, I'm not prepared to take the chance. That is a dangerous area of the market. And by definition, I will always be underweight resources. Now, if you've told people that and they understand that, then they have to say, well, I think the tide is coming in for resources. Let me go and buy a resources fund. And by the way, the old mutual was considering closing their gold fund. They couldn't see the purpose of it. Not enough people were, were entertaining it. So they had a vote and very small turnout. I think only 15% of the total people in, by value in the fund actually voted. And that vote by those who did vote was overwhelmingly, please keep it open. But if you agreed, which was rather strange, that those who didn't vote, by definition, had voted, uh, we were quite prepared to close it. Then you said, well, you know, it was like 85 to 15 uh, to close the fund. On objection, they have reviewed the situation, and many people will be thrilled to know that the old mutual gold fund is to remain open. Hurrah. The Hurrah for old mutual, I say. Listen, the resources me. fund, by, by contrast, mm. is going to be merged with the general equity fund. I, I personally find that astounding. Well, it's, it's, it's extraordinary because there's two completely different entities. 
and and they are needed. If I want resources, I don't want to go to a general fund to get Precisely. them. Precisely, I don't need um, <laughs> I don't need an insurance company in with my gold shares or my BHP Billiton shares. Listen, thank you so much for your insight. Listen, Manchies is a man who has interviewed two hundred fund managers. And he mentioned the word mediocrity earlier on, but there was nothing mediocre about his analysis. If you want to contact Liston, you can do so by going to Liston at liston.co.za. Liston Mainchies is an independent financial and markets advisor. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. To receive Liston's charts and other exclusive content, go to strictlybusinesspodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and subscribe.